Hey, good morning. It's really great to have you here at FBC. I'm going to invite you to continue in our series called Follow to Follow Me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, take them out. We'll look at it. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have uh, we have a bunch of them in the back on those small tables. Make sure you go back and pick one up. You can go do that right now uh, and pick one up. And if you don't have one at home, take this. It's our gift to you. But if you do have one at home, leave it here so we can give it to someone else. But we want you to have God's Word uh, right in front of you so that you can see what we're being called to today. You know, we, we've talked so far about people's responses to Jesus as he kind of called them to himself, right? And, and one of them was that people believed in him and followed him. And that we see in the disciples. There were other people who heard what he, he, uh, had to say, really wanted what he had to give them. And we find that a lot today. We want Jesus to do things for us, to make all our wildest dreams come true. Uh, but in reality, we don't want to follow him. We don't, we want him to do stuff. We like his work in our lives, but we don't like his way and we don't want to follow him. But then there was a group of people who rejected him and resisted him at, at every move. And we're seeing this group kind of building right now in the book of Mark. Why do people reject Jesus? You know, I guess we could argue that it was because he called them to change, right? And we don't like change. We like to stay the way we are. Maybe it was because they perceived Jesus as uh, just another rule giver. And, and boy, we don't like rules, right? And we like the way we want to live and we don't want anyone else to change our lifestyle. We don't want anyone else to call us into rules. Maybe it's because of fear. Fear of what we could become if Jesus really got a hold of our lives. Maybe it's a stereotype of a a Christian fanatic that we don't want to become. So we kind of keep Jesus at a distance and don't really allow him to transform us. I found, I think this last one has been my resistance to Jesus over the course of my life. I've seen what he's called me to. I've had a picture that I'll be worse off with that than I would be on my own And so I keep them at a distance. And it's not all areas, but it's some areas I've done that. Well, you know what? This passage is going to reveal to us the real reason why people reject and resist Jesus. And we we begin on an incident that happened when a Jewish religious sect named the Pharisees, along with a subset group known as the scribes, came from Jerusalem to Galilee where Jesus was ministering and observed him. And they observed some things. One thing that really caused them concern is his disciples were eating without washing their hands. And, you know, it's more than like a mother's concern about bacteria. This was a big no-no for any Jewish religious person that they didn't follow the law, uh, that, that everyone would have really washing because you had to be clean on the outside. You had to be ceremonial clean even when you ate. And, and the, the reality of this is they tried to correct Jesus at this passage. And we're going to see Jesus' response to their correction. Would you take a look at it with me? It's Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 14. It says this, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? 
since it enters not by his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's just step back from this. Um, this passage really took root in me and I had a clearer understanding when I traveled to the Holy Land this year. And I went to two places where it really focused on the externals, the ceremonially washing, uh, that was so emphasized by the Jewish religious leaders in this passage. The first one is called Qumran and it's on the Northwest side of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's dead. Nothing lives in it. It's about nine times more salty than the salt water in an, in an, in the ocean. And I actually floated on the Dead Sea because you can't get underneath it. If you do, the water just burns your eyes. I had one drop of water hit my eye and I mean, it was red for the, for two days because it was like acid hitting so you just kind of float on it, and it's weird sensation. It feels like you're floating on jello. And all around the Dead Sea is a, a, a desert wasteland. And Qumran is right on the north, the northwest side of the Dead Sea. And this is what you have looking into the mountains. In that mountains, in 1947, I don't know if you can see it, that first kind of cave, it's the closer cave in the distance on the left-hand side of that picture, was cave number six. And in 1947, uh, uh, a Bedouin Arab boy shepherd threw a rock into that cave. And instead of hearing clink, he heard crash. And he went in to explore it. And he found a whole bunch of clay pots that held scrolls of the Old Testament scriptures dating back to 100 BC. And when archaeologists took that out and translated that, those scrolls they found in the areas of the Old Testament that we have today, there were no changes, no significant changes in the meaning or the translation of those words from Hebrew. They translated them and they found that our Bible, what we have in the Old Testament scriptures is, is solid. It was affirmed. It wasn't rewritten by the church years later after we had this code of what we want people to believe about God. It was it was authentic. It was consistent. It's perhaps one of the most significant archaeological finds that validates the scriptures in our history. And it happened right here in Qumran. Well, archaeologists started to excavate the area and they found this, this settlement called Qumran. And in, this is the other view looking towards the east. And there's the Dead Sea in the distance. But all around this community were ceremonial baths. Now think about it. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's no water. And yet one of the greatest uh, things in this community was the amount of cisterns they had for water and the amount of cisterns they had with the number of people living out there were far outnumbered what the people would need. So they had ceremonial baths because bathing was such a priority. Getting your externals clean so that you could be open with your internals. Everything God did had to, you had to purify the outside so that he could work on the inside. They never denied the inside, 
But in, in having so many laws, having so many rituals about the externals, they had to go through so many hoops, pay attention to so many acts that you couldn't deny its power and its emphasis. And it started on the outside. And so they were hung up on the outside. The second area that I want to share with you is in Jerusalem. Here's another ceremonial bath. This one is unique because I don't know if you can see the dividing stone right in the middle of the steps there. When you went into that bath and it was full immersion, you went into that bath, you went under the water and you came up the other side so that you wouldn't pollute the steps or you wouldn't get dirty again on the steps that you took to go down into it. It's interesting, before you went to the temple, everyone would would bathe on the outside so that God could work on their inside. It always worked outside in. Just in the past 20 years, they uncovered over 50 of these baths at the southern entrance to the temple, on the Temple Mount. And again, in the past 20 years, this is another significant archaeological find. Most skeptics of the scripture wondered, where did Peter baptize the 3,000 people in the book of Acts who came to Christ? Where, there weren't any, any baths that were discovered in that area until recently. Between 15, 20 years ago, they uncovered over 50 of these baths. No problem for 3,000 people to be baptized. But again, the picture there of the Jewish faith at the time of Jesus and of these people who rejected and resisted him is, is that he didn't pay attention to the outside. We still pay attention to the outside, right? How do we look? What's my image? How do people see me? And what Jesus is going to do is he is going to tell us not just what's wrong with us, but how to get right with him. Because the reality is, is something is wrong, right? We've known this for thousands of years. Things aren't the way they should be. Things are broken and people are broken. We are broken. And philosophers, economists, doctors, lawyers, politicians, educators, counselors, pastors, parents, protesters have all tried, have all tried to fix it. So how do you fix it? How do you fix this issue? Because the Jews were sourced in the Old Testament. They knew that the problem was sin. The stain of sin goes deep in each of us. And the law had all these interpretations, even Talmuds that, that were built upon the law of the Old Testament. But as a result, their solution kind of got hung up on the externals to the ne- neglect of the internal. Jesus Jesus doesn't neglect the externals. As a matter of fact, he even mentions 13 specific sins that are exhibited in the externals. But like a, like a mechanic tracking the rattle or groan of an engine, he locates and identifies the problem of humanity. What really makes us unclean, unfit, and broken before God and in this world is internal. It's our hearts. And in doing so, he points to one of our greatest fears. It's, it's not our environment. It's not the villains who've abused us or exploited us over the years. It's not even our actions. The root of it all is the heart. It's the problem is us. Jesus says, stop looking around you and start looking in the mirror. And like a surgeon... He cuts through the externals from clothing, even into flesh, and exposes the heart for what it is. The heart is the problem. It's that thing inside of us that motivates us, that processes the realities around us, 
that decides when we think and feel and process and plan and scheme and act. That's broken. The problem within each of us is our heart. What do we need to know about the heart? A few things. Let me start. First of all, the heart. The heart is darker than I can see. Look at how Jesus calls it in verse 6. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's darker than we can think. We're blinded. We're blinded of the amount of self-promotion we do, amount of preservation that we do of our, of our lives. And yet our motives, our thoughts, our plans, our schemes, the, folks, the externals only show above the surface of reality. I mean, I just need to be open here. Upon reflection, even what makes it out of my mouth has been cleaned up. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, when someone insults you, when someone's insensitive to you, your heart calls them a name usually. And most of the time it doesn't come out of the mouth. But then there's this time when it does come out of the mouth. Like when you're teaching your kid how to drive and they aren't listening and you're putting your very life at stake and all of a sudden you say, pull that and you say it and the car is quiet. And then your son looks at you and goes, dad, you're a pastor. Yeah. And I think, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Jesus says, your heart, Joe, it's your heart. See, we can dress it up on the outside, but Jesus, Jesus knows the heart and it's darker than you can see. Secondly, the influence of my heart is stronger than I can contain. In, in Mark 7, 21, it says, for from within, out of the heart of men. And then he just kind of unloads 13 different things that he says, this is where they all are rooted in. This is where all the, and it is in the heart. And, and when we, when we fail, when we step away, when we do things that are sin, we, we look back and go, it started there. It started, it was hurt. It got angry. It got bitter. And it planned something. It planned those words. It planned the joke that I could get everyone to laugh about at that person's expense. The heart is where sarcasm comes from. The heart's where cynical spirits, where critical. I mean, we, those things all are stemmed there. And the influence is, is far reaching in a lot of areas. The heart, how you process things, when you're hurt, the feeling of bitterness, it changes your heart rate. It even restricts the flow of blood to your vein, to your brain for processing and making a rational decision. The influence of your heart is stronger. You can't contain it on your own. It's even farther than the next self-help book that you, that you turn to. And Jesus, when he was teaching about the heart in Luke chapter 6, verse 43, he says, For each tree is known by its own fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, he says in verse 45, his mouth speaks. Folks, it's darker than I think. Its influence is more than I can contain. But thirdly, the void in my heart is larger than I can fill. Look at what Jesus says in verse 23. He says, all these things, evil things, come from within. That's what defiles a person. It's this open, empty, void-filled heart. And boy, don't we try to fill it. 
We try to fill it with the next relationship, with the next job, with the next house, next car, the next gadget, next drug, next sexual experience, the next drink. And what do we find? We all end up in the same place, empty. So what do we do about it? This heart that's darker, that's stronger of an influence and, and even, even has a greater void than we can fill. What do we do with that? Well, Jesus is going to show, he's going to show a contrast of two different ways to, that, that we have tried to fix the heart. Let me just put them up there. The first one is an external moral improvement. An external moral improvement. The other one is an internal heart transformation. Now, the Jewish leaders represent that external moral improvement. But Jesus calls people, when you follow him, to an internal heart transformation. Now, I'm going to bet it all on the scriptures this morning. I'm going to put it all and I'm going to lead you into the internal heart transformation. But in the the process, I'm just going to call you away from humanity's greatest attempts at religion through external moral improvements because all the religious systems of the world, especially the top five, have, have stressed the external moral improvements. You got to do better. And only Jesus says you need to trust in what's already done. You know, external moral improvements focus on a law. There's always a code of, of rules. There's always this thing that you've got to obey. And if you, if you do them, then you're in. If you deny them, you're out. And so those are who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. Not only are, are there a picture of the law, but when you mess up, the, the advice you receive from these improvements are try harder. Try harder. Messed up this week? Come to church. Come to church. And give, by the way. And get involved in ministry. Because you've got to do those things. If you just keep trying. And you keep doing good things. And God, he may be disappointed with you this week. But next week, man, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. It was a good week. Keep trying. And many churches around this perspective say, Hey, everyone, come on, listen up. God is good. You're bad. Stop it. Be good. See you next week. Okay? And the reality is, is trying harder just leaves us more frustrated, doesn't it? How many times, especially if you're struggling with an internal issue of your heart, have you tried and tried? Maybe you stopped. Maybe you stopped and three weeks later, oh, it happened again. And what in the world? It's frustrating, is it? Isn't it? And when you mess up on this, on this system, you tend to ignore the vertical condition with God, your relationship, and you tend to compare. Comparison is really big for external moral improvements. And when you do comparison, what do you do? You start looking around and go, I'm not like that person. I'm not like that person then. Okay, I'm not perfect like God, but at least I'm not like Craig, man. Do you see what Craig's doing? Boy, we've got to pray for Craig. You know, we just do that. Be careful. I, I really want more people to sit up front so I won't pick on you, Craig. <laughs> but we compare our lives. And here's what I hear. I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I mean, I, <laughs> God knows I'm a sinner. We do that. But at least he's got me because I'm this. 
And the reality of comparison is we ignore the heart and we look on the externals. And, and at, at, the, the end result of all this is arrogance. It's arrogance because it, it moves us into the realm of superiority. Look what I've done. And look what all the other sinners did. Oh, that person is in church this week. They shouldn't be here, man. If they knew, I'm going to tell Joe about what it's like to work with that person. Just so he knows. I mean, <laughs> he may try to take over here like they do at the office. You know, we do this. It's arrogance. And, and it's also exclusivity. They don't deserve this. I've been good all my life. And they just walk through these doors thinking they'll get God's grace. What in the world? Arrogance. Everything that's wrong with religion is based on this picture. Everything. And we've seen it. We've seen people say that, you know, just be really happy that people are headed to hell. That they're not. And that the world is just going down this. this and we got to stand up and do something. We got to try harder. We got to do this. Okay, but what Jesus is going to call us to, he's not going to call us to the law anymore. He's going to call us to grace. And grace is the great leveler of humanity. Grace says none of us can earn this. None of us deserve this. Grace says that the ground at the cross is level. It's not structured with the really good people and the really bad people having close, you know, further or closer proximity to its level. And it's grace. It's not anything I've I'm doing, it's what Jesus has already done for me. And that instead of trying harder when I mess up, I'm really called to trust deeper. I come back to the cross. It's at the cross where I met Jesus and what he did, but I keep preaching the gospel to myself when I mess up. And I go, wow, man, it really is my heart. Jesus, I trust you again to forgive my heart. I trust you to restore my heart. We trust him deeper. And instead of comparison, it's confidence in Christ. It's not this picture of you comparing with anyone else. You're compared to Christ, and therefore we all fall short. He's the one we're compared to, but he's also the one who provided what we need. He lived the life we couldn't. He died on a cross to pay a price we couldn't. And he lives today and, and secures the power over sin and death. That same part, power that raised him from the dead is at live and working in us, the church. So we have that confidence, but not in ourselves, not in our greatest successes or a lack of confidence because of our failures. We trust in Jesus and his work for us. And finally, instead of arrogance, it really breeds humility, doesn't it? See, when I've connected more with grace than I have the law, I accept a whole lot more people in my life. I accept people who don't believe like me, who don't look like me, who don't act like me. And I don't view myself as any better because we all fall short. And I see the gospel as an inclusive call to whosoever believes, marked by the the arms of Jesus spreading out and receiving everyone to himself. Now, it's an inclusive call, but it's a very specific call to himself and the person and the work of Jesus. But it's to whosoever will believe in who he is and what he's done for us. And that's a critical decision for all of us to make. I don't know where you are on this paradigm, 
But I would suppose most of us have some of the external moral improvements that have motivated us. Some even motivate us to come here this morning. I got to make up for the bad week I've had. Or sometimes it's even kept us away. Why would I ever go to a church? Man, my life stinks. I'm making really poor decisions. So I've got to dress up before I come here. And what Jesus says, no, anyone who will open your heart, come. Because he's the one who transforms the heart. So what do you do? How do you become clean? Well, we got to recognize a few things and then we need to respond when we realize this. First one is this. Jesus sees the heart. Jesus sees the heart. We can't hide it from him. We can't keep secrets from him. That's, that's one of the things that Jeremiah writes about when he quotes God is as, as the heart is deceitful above all things in Jeremiah 17 and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10 answers that question. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God knows the heart. Jesus knew the heart. He knew that hardened, resistant, rejecting heart of religious leaders pursuing moral improvements. And so our response is really what Jesus calls us to. Because he sees the heart, it's good to confess the heart to him. That's our response. Once we realize that, that there's no hiding with Jesus, we just go, okay, you see my heart. Hey, would you help me see my heart now? Because I'm kind of distracted by these externals. It's important for us to confess the heart to him. Yesterday in our journal, we went through uh, the confession of King David. King David, known as a man after God's own heart. King David, just after he was caught in adultery with another man's wife, just after he ordered the death of her husband, just after he thought he could hide behind the external of a king and a kingdom, a throne, power, success, and position, Nathan said, you are that man. You are that man. And we get the confession of a heart that's open before the Lord, that saw what God sees. In Psalm 51, he says this, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, he just came clean. That's, that's what that whole value of coming clean is, that you confess it the way it is. You stop hiding. God's not honored by sins that are in secret. And therefore, when we call it what it is, he's honored. That's where it all begins. Confession always begins the process. See, if you want to ignore the real Jesus, ignore the reality of your sin. Because when you do not recognize your sin, you will have no need for him. You will have no need for him. If you could measure up to a level, he would have never had to come down here and live a life you couldn't live or die on a cross to pay a price you couldn't pay. It's a big question. Why Jesus? First thing, my heart. My heart. That's where it goes. So when you confess your, when, confess your heart, what do you see? What do you see? When you look into your heart, what do you see? 
You know what I see in mine? Because I can't see yours. I see pride. I see pride rearing up its ugly head. I see a hardness. Hardness sometimes to things that I'm resistant to Jesus messing with me about. I see a hurt sometimes. Hurt from the past. I, I see a brokenness from things that have failed. Specifically relationships that have failed. I see a bitterness for unresolved anger. I see a, a heart sometimes that's scared. I see a heart that's worried. And it's been helpful for me. It's been life-giving to me to confess my heart to Jesus. That's why I have a time each day where I, I get alone with Jesus. And as I'm reading the word, as I'm praying, I just reflect. What's the condition of my heart? And it's been really helpful for me to say, Jesus, right now, I'm scared. I mean, there's huge needs in this church. And I don't know what to do about this one and this one and this one. But you do. You do. I don't. I'm scared. I confess my heart to you right now. Lord, I'm really ticked at this person. And I don't want to build an effigy of them. <laughs> I, I want to get even. But I know that's not your way. That's my heart. Here it is to you. If you confess your sins... He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and, to, uh, and, and to, to restore you, to restore you back. The second thing is Jesus not only sees the heart, he redeems the heart. See, when you confess, you're also redeemed. And when you call and seek his provision, you're redeemed. You know, I look in Ezekiel, that's been the heart of God throughout the scripture. It's not just a New Testament phenomenon of God wanting to redeem us. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, look what God says about a heart. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will, will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is the heart of God. Come back. See, Jesus redeems the heart. So how do you respond? Well, ask. Accept his forgiveness for you. Accept his forgiveness. David did this. Look at how he says that in, in Psalm 51. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Now, we don't have a lot of hyssop growing in Topeka. So what was that? Well, hyssop was a branch and it was kind of like a hairy, leafy plant that the priest would just dip into the blood and under a sacrifice would sprinkle that blood on someone to make them clean. We now have Jesus. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. His blood over our lives makes us clean, washes over us, and we, through Christ, are whiter than snow. Accept that forgiveness. Accept that you can't live the life you need to. Accept that you can't pay the price, that you can't even perform the surgery that he needs to do on us and accept him doing that in us. Ask him to forgive. Confession alone. Many of us grew up in, in religions where we went to confession and we just poured it out there. This is how bad I am and this is how bad I am again and I was really bad here and... We may have even heard silence on the other end of that confession. And then you left and then you came back next week for confession number two. Or, and it just went throughout the year on confession. Confession is important because you see it the way God has. But accept, accept his forgiveness for you. How do you do that? Receive it. 
Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Covered all my sin. Thank you that your heart now is to lead me in this way. In your way. Jesus not only redeems the heart. Finally, Jesus restores the heart. He wants to restore our heart. He's passionately committed to the inside. Jesus all... Humanity starts on the externals and moves inward. Jesus always starts with the internal and moves external. Always. Because he, he has a restoration project of our hearts. It, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about the incredible work of Jesus, what he did, and how he is the high priest who atones now, who represents us before God. We don't need any other human priests. We have Jesus as our priest. And he says, since we have this, look at verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Remember those ceremonial baths we saw? We don't need him anymore. We've got Jesus. And he's the one who sprinkled us clean. He's the one who cleanses us and restores our heart. It's what David says. We've got to trust his work of grace in our lives. That's our response to Jesus's restoring work in our lives. Look at how David says in Psalm 51.10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Look at those words. God, create. Cast me not away. Renew, restore, uphold. This is how God restores my heart. So here's the deal. Jesus is most concerned about the heart then what would it look like for us to be more concerned with the internal condition of our heart than we are on the external condition of our image? Folks, we love our image. How much time did you spend getting ready for today just to present yourself out in public? See, how much time did you spend on the externals and how much time did you spend on the internal condition of your heart? It is an issue of time. It's an, it's an issue of emphasis. How much do we... We don't like it to to put negative things about our heart on Facebook. We just like to do the positive things. We don't have, you know, status things like, hey, I gained 10 pounds this week and I'm so excited. We don't have those things. We protect our image. My kid, he won athletics. First place, look at a picture. My kid is top of the class. My kid just signed with. We like to promote the image. What about the heart? What about the heart? What about the heart of our children? He's a good kid. He's making good, good. Sorry, I'm going Southern here, but he's, he's, he's making good decisions and, and God bless him. Hasn't gotten arrested yet. We're good. Now, what about their heart? See, I, I, if you're praying more for tests and athletic events than you are the heart of your child, it's the wrong emphasis. We're more on improvements than we are transformation. The greatest blessing we can do for us and the people around pray for our hearts, trust our hearts. The greatest concern is the heart of our children. The greatest concern needs to be your heart towards God. And when it is, transformation happens. When you allow God, when you confess your heart, When you accept his work of forgiveness and when you trust his work of grace, 
guess what? Transformation happens. It happens. It's like just being planted in the good soil that starts reaping 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. He blesses you when you're, when you're focused on the heart. So that's what I want to do. Because the, this is the heart of the issue why Jesus had to come. And as we prepare for communion together as a family, I really love this time. It's one of my favorite times in the month. Because what we're saying here is we're saying together with our church family, we got an issue with the heart that only Jesus can take care of. And that we trust in Jesus alone, not in our works, not in what we're doing, but what's already done. And we're going to follow him by grace. We're going to be led by grace in our lives, not no longer by the law or works. And when you take these two elements, the, the bread representing the body of Jesus that was given for us, we're proclaiming Jesus as the son of God, the savior of our lives. And as we drink the cup, we're proclaiming that we're part of a new covenant forged by his blood, no longer on works or the law, but by grace. And we celebrate that when we take those two things. And so if you believe that, celebrate. If you don't, don't. Why would you do a a ritual that would have no meaning? But if you do, even if today was that first time you place your faith and trust in the person and the work of Jesus, let's do this as a family. Let's admit it's the heart and only Jesus has healed it. I want to read Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. As we, this is our preparation for communion, but it's also our prayer to have God search our hearts. And if God calls things in your heart, lift them up to him. Seek his forgiveness and take this in full acceptance of what Christ has done for you. Let's read this out loud together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.